Hello there, this is Benny. This is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you all about it. Ah, classic, classic, good stuff. Yeah, I figured if we're starting a new serial, then it might be good to go back to the classic intro for a moment. Yeah, I mean, you never know, maybe someone starts on this one. Yeah. Uh, Can you imagine starting on this one, never getting to meet Barbara and Ian? Oh, Oh, man, that's true. Heartbreaking. That, That would be a shame. If this is your first episode of The Doctor's Watcher... You should go back and listen to the others, because Barbara and Ian are really great, and you're not going to meet yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to miss them, Kyle. Me too. Silly old um, fuss pots. Silly old fuss pots. So, uh, what have you been up to, Kyle? Uh, well, as you know, I last night played my first solo game of Pandemic Legacy Season 1 board game. Indeed. It was quite exciting and tense, especially right there at the end. Yes. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle like, uh, shares updates as he plays, um, and I was, I was following along, especially at the end there. Yeah, I don't want to give like too many spoilers away about like the legacy-type stuff in the game, but I, I came very close to losing. I did end up winning. And yeah, I was actually thinking about one of the one of the interesting things about Pandemic as a board game is how you can simultaneously be like right on the verge of winning, but also right on the verge of losing. I feel like that's that's the only way I've ever ever been on the verge of winning. I've never seen or heard of a game of Pandemic where people just like breeze through it and (laughs) aren't even close to losing. I feel like it's Uh either you barely win or you lose. And sometimes you just get creamed. Yeah. It's a very difficult game. Well, the way the legacy game works, the, you know, the longer campaign is somewhat self-balancing. So like when you win a game, then you're going to get slightly punished in the next one because you won. Uh When you lose a game, then you get like a little bit of a bonus in the next one. You also get a win bonus. So it's not entirely a punishment to win. Yeah, um, Kyle and I were two of the players in a game of Risk Legacy that we did uh, several years back, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things I liked about Risk as a legacy game as opposed to Pandemic is that um, if you screw up at Risk Legacy, then you're just hurting yourself and then one of your friends gets <laughs> to win. But uh-huh. if you screw up at Pandemic Legacy, then you're just screwed up for everybody and then everyone yeah. loses. And I did realize partway through the game that it had been slightly harder than it should have been up to that point because I was forgetting that one of my characters could take an extra action on every turn. Yeah, you're generalist. Right. That's not a spoiler. That's one of the starting abilities, folks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, pulled it through anyway. Cool. So what what have you been up to? Um... Yeah, not not a whole lot. We've been we we, we watched Severance on Apple TV Plus. That was really good. I've been meaning to watch um, that, but I haven't yet. Yeah, uh, it was it was really something. Um, now we're watching Sandman on Netflix, which is also nice. good. Um, yeah, a lot of good a lot of good TV shows out there. Well, speaking of TV shows. Yes. Which hope, hopefully you're good. Yeah, a lot of good TV shows out there these days and a lot of good TV shows out there in the 1960s. Indeed. 
This is the 36th episode of season two. This episode's called The Watcher. Nice. We're, hey, wait, we're, we're The Watcher, Kyle. We're, we're The Watcher. <laughs> so the name of this podcast, The Doctor's Watcher, is actually a reference to a Doctor Who thing, but it's not, in fact, this episode. It's a reference to an episode that I've never actually seen, but was something I found online and read about and thought seemed appropriate. Cool. Yeah, kind of, kind of a shame it's not this episode, because sure everyone <laughs> would like to know more about what exactly the, the Watcher is, or a yeah. Watcher. But I guess this is also a, a Watcher, so, you know, you get a Watcher in this one too, presumably. So I think we, we mentioned earlier that this is a new serial. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finished The Chase, mm-hmm. and this serial was written by Dennis Spooner, which is a name oh, we've heard before. Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Dennis wrote The Reign of Terror, and he yeah, wrote he The Romans. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. So if that, you know, might give you some sort of hint or about what way this serial might possibly head. Dennis was also our script editor. Yes. For the past several serials. Yes. But apparently The Chase was his last serial in that role. He's no longer the script editor now. Well, he still gets to write for us. Yep. So, was there a cliffhanger in the previous one? I don't actually remember. <laughs> I can't tell if you're testing me. Um, no, no, they just kind of get into a into the TARDIS and leave. Yeah, um, that makes Vicky, sense. Vicky and the Doctor go off because you know Ian, Ian and Barbara um, go home, and the um, the Daleks time machine, um, and then um, which they then destroy. Yeah. Off camera. Yeah. And uh, the doctor asks Vicky if she wants to leave too. And she says, no, she wants to go on adventures. So they're going to go on adventures. So we start presumably a short amount of time after that. Although, you know, it's unclear. Yeah. In case, in case you want to write any fanfics. Exactly. <laughs> and Vicky and the doctor are still basically processing Barbara and Ian's departure. Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. They're talking about how they're both going to miss them. The doctor's like, First Susan and now them. But, like, he's the one who made Susan leave, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's worried that Vicky will want to go home, too, even though, you know, he talked to her about it in the previous episode. He's still worried. Uh-huh. But she reassures him. She says that she's made her choice, and she kind of reminds him that she doesn't really actually have anything to go home to anyway. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like her family's all dead. They had left their home world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she's she basically doesn't have a place other than in the TARDIS. Yeah. As they're having this discussion, they both start to hear some noises coming from another part of the TARDIS. Cool. There's someone in the living quarters. Doctor, be careful. It's obviously a Dalek. Oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it's not a Dalek, but uh-huh. I guess let's find out. Yeah, a little bit jumping to conclusions here. I mean, also, I think I think Vicky Vicky may have changed her opinion on Daleks. <laughs> um, now uh-huh. that she's actually met a few. Yep, I guess Ian did say that she would. <laughs> yeah, he predicted it. Uh huh. Being careful does still seem like a good idea when checking the sound out, whether it's a Dalek or not. Yeah, there's not supposed to be other people in the TARDIS (laughs) regardless. Yeah. 
So they head over to like the living quarters area of the TARDIS basically and kind of like wait outside the door to the living quarters. The doctor takes his jacket off and gets it all ready to like throw over the Dalek's eye stock. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as the Dalek comes through the doorway. Classic anti-Dalek maneuver. Uh Uh-huh. Vicky also has a classic anti-Dalek maneuver. She takes her shoe off so she can hit the Dalek with it. (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) But when the door opens, of course, it is not a Dalek that comes out, but a man in a neatly trimmed beard and newly scraggly clothes. Hmm. Scraggly, you say, eh? We, we always have to, yes, we always have to <laughs> determine how scraggly the, the various characters uh-huh. are who appear. Well, the, the beard is not scraggly, but the clothes are. Hmm. So he kind of... Interesting combination. He stumbles out of the room and just kind of like passes out and hits, hits the deck. Steven! Oh, it's Steven. It's Steven. Do we know who Steven is? Uh, he was the guy in the previous episode. Oh, oh, the one who went back for his, like, teddy bear Hi-fi. or something. Yeah. The one who's presumably descended from Alabama Man. <laughs> At least they, he bears a resemblance. We cut to a rocky shoreline where the TARDIS materializes. There is a monk on a nearby clifftop who watches the TARDIS materialize. Like, are we, are we talking like Benedictine monk or a Shaolin monk? Like, what, what do we got here? Uh, Benedictine. Okay. I, I think he's sort of got a, like, a tonsure hairstyle, if I remember right. Um, and yeah, then definitely like the kind of... Kind of a Friar Tuck vibe. And, yeah, Friar Tuck vibe, definitely. <laughs> okay, cool. So yeah, he's up on this clifftop. He watches the TARDIS materialize, and he seems like interested in it but he's not like freaking out or anything okay we cut back to the inside of the tardis and steven is telling vicky and the doctor about how he barely managed to get down the cable before it burned away and then like came after them basically and ended up finding the tardis I wonder how much of this is a retcon where they were like, yeah, we need one more person, but who can we add to the crew? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that that guy who played Alabama man was pretty cheap. (laughs) Let's see what Uh he's got going on. Well, if I remember right, it's been a little while since I've looked at the, the fandom page about the chase and about this serial, but I think they had the idea. I think if I remember right, they, they cast him as Alabama man and then decided to recast him as Steven at the end of the serial because they they liked his performance and stuff. All, all within the same serial. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not even just in the same season. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they had the idea of him being the next companion. I do remember reading that, like, the ending of the chase his fate is left deliberately unclear. (laughs) They were still in contract negotiations. (laughs) Say, this is quite a ship you've got here, Doc. Never seen anything like it. Now listen to me, young man. Sit down. Now, 
There are two things you can do. One, sit there until you get your breath back. And two, don't call me Doc. Now, do I make myself clear? Yes, yes, whatever you say, Doc. Talk. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> also, I know I know that what you just heard, listeners, um, was the actual, like, uh, sound clip from the show. But Kyle is still giving Stephen a bit of the old Alabama man accent <laughs> in some of his lines. I, I wonder, I think that might be a little subconscious there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's in his blood. It's in his DNA. It's true. It's true. He doesn't believe Vicky when she tells him that the TARDIS is a time machine. <laughs> like he's willing to accept that it's bigger on the inside because, you know, like he saw the TARDIS from the outside when he found it and then snuck in. So he'll accept that, but he doesn't believe that it's a time machine. Well, those Hollywood types can do some pretty amazing things with, <laughs> uh, with mirrors and stuff. <laughs> uh huh. They have some kind of playful banter about it for a minute. And then the doctor sends Vicky to go find Stephen some new clothes in the TARDIS wardrobe and tells her to bring the doctor's cloak to him as well because his readings show that they're on the planet Earth and the DM is urging the players to get moving on the adventure module. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've landed... You've been here for like 10 minutes. You haven't even left your ship yet. Yeah, I've, uh, I've definitely played games like that. <laughs> we cut from the TARDIS over to a fire. And it's like a cook fire, basically. And Ooh. the person who is using this cooking fire, placing a large cauldron on it, is you know, some sort of villager, it seems, who's actually played by the same actor as her in the one with the cave people. Wow, interesting. <laughs> and uh, for, for some reason, this person isn't very good with names. She always <laughs> just seems to want to refer to people with pronouns. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's almost like something, you know, it, it runs in the family. We, we don't really know why. It's just something they've yeah, always we've, done. <laughs> we've just always used pronouns for everyone. <laughs> so she gets approached by another person who tells her and her partner that he saw a large box on the beach. Is this the monk? No, that's the interesting thing. It's not the monk. Oh, okay. And it seems like he didn't see the TARDIS materialize, which the monk did. He just saw it after it materialized because he thinks it must have washed ashore from a ship. Oh, interesting. Maybe from the Mary Celeste. <laughs> when are they coming back anyway? They've been out there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe we should go looking for them or something. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so the the person who saw the box and the partner of the cook basically both head off to try to like check this box out before the tide comes in. We cut to our heroes where Vicky has found a horned helmet. Oh, They've, excellent. They you know, started investigating the area. Oh, uh, we're doing the Viking storyline, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we had monks, we got Vikings. Um, we know what's up. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, she's got the horned helmet. The doctor is examining it. You know, he's got 
some some useful knowledge history skills and whatnot. It's a bit rusty, but it doesn't actually seem to be very old. So he tells Stephen that they must be probably in England in the 10th or 11th century. And he says, well, you know, Viking helmets didn't actually have horns on them. Um, <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so, you know, he's saying this is, this is definitely a Viking helmet. Stephen is not too sure. Uh, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? What do you think? It is a space helmet for a cow? <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe there's an opera singer who, who lost her helmet <laughs> from a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> Stephen does make a good point, though. He thinks that if the TARDIS is really a time machine, the Doctor should be able to control it and, like, know where and when it lands. Um, I don't think those two things necessarily have to go together, actually. <laughs> you can have uh, one without the other. <laughs> you would you would hope that they often go together, but... Yeah. I suppose the one's not, like, a, a, a requirement for the other. Exactly. The Doctor actually explains to Stephen that he would be able to control it and know where it's going and stuff, but there's just, like, a small technical problem. Okay, that's it. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. Vicky, you know, kind of clarifies for Stephen what the situation is. As a matter of fact, we never know where we're going to land next. Yeah, that would be a technical problem. <laughs> <laughs> they finally leave the TARDIS or, you know, like leave the landing area and start exploring a bit further. Before they go anywhere, though, Stephen, who I should point out, is now clean-shaven. He's no longer wearing a beard. Okay. I guess that was, like, in the get some new clothes and clean up and whatever. He asks the doctor why the TARDIS looks like a police box. Oh, interesting that he knows what a police box is. Uh Uh-huh. I don't remember if this has actually come up on the show before or not, but the basic idea is that the TARDIS is supposed to blend in with its surroundings, as the doctor explains. So if it were to land in, for example, the middle of what the doctor called the Indian mutiny, it might take on the appearance of like, you know, the carrier box thingy on the back of an elephant. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think this came up before because I remember them saying something about it appearing like a column in in oh times yeah yeah or Roman times or I think you're right like that. I think they gave a couple of examples like that uh huh the the other example that's given here is that if it were to land on a rocky shoreline for example it might look like a large rock Stephen you know kind of looks around the rocky shoreline that they're standing on. Uh-huh. That was a good example that Doctor <laughs> gave. And yet... <laughs> uh-huh. You know, that large rock over there looks exactly like a police telephone box. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like him. He's already giving the Doctor a hard time. Uh-huh. Vicky stands up for the Doctor here. That is merely another technical hitch, and the Doctor will repair it one day. He certainly won't spend canonically the next several hundred, if not thousand years of his personal timeline without remaining a police box, even while the interior undergoes several design changes over the years. 
That's a very specific and yet also prophetic um, statement that she just made. <laughs> hey, how's the episode so far? You can share your thoughts by emailing us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweeting us at drwatcher. If you're enjoying our little podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And now, let's get back to the episode. At this point, the camera shows us that the monk who watched the TARDIS materialize has been, like, hiding behind a rock on the beach listening to this whole conversation. The doctor wants to get up to the top of the cliffs, but he hates climbing. So he's just going to like walk down the beach until he finds a place where the cliffs eventually come down to sea level and then like, you know, double back and head back up to the top of the cliffs that way. That makes sense. I mean, assuming that he doesn't have to walk for miles for that to happen. Uh Uh-huh. They actually kind of bring up this possibility, but he doesn't really seem to give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) He tells Stephen and Vicky to basically stay put until he arrives at the top of the cliffs above them. And then they can, they can climb up the cliffs to him. So he, he leaves. Vicky basically wants to follow his instructions and like stay with the TARDIS. But Stephen ends up kind of pressuring her into coming with him to a nearby spot where he thinks the cliffs look pretty easily climbable. We've got to go up there sooner or later. It might as well be sooner. We can walk along the top and meet. Interesting. Is Stephen a person of action? He might be. He did, like, rush into a burning building to save his stuffed panda. It's true. So the two of them leave the TARDIS and... As soon as they walk into, like, the next screen of the area, the monk comes out of hiding. You know, he's behind his rock. He comes out and heads over to the TARDIS and tries to get inside of it, but, of course, it's locked. He kind of, like, pulls the sleeve of his monk robe back as if he's going to look at a wristwatch, Hmm. and then he looks surprised and maybe a bit distraught when there's not actually a wristwatch there. Interesting. Why did this, like, medieval monk expect to see a wristwatch, I wonder? Hmm. The doctor has been on his journey to the top of the cliffs for a while now. Turns out it was quite a ways away before he found a spot. And it's actually, like, getting pretty dark. It's, you know, getting into the evening He has found the cooking fire that we saw earlier, and he basically, like, heads into the nearby hut and kind of starts, like, poking around and checking stuff out until he starts to hear a creature howling outside. Oh, cool. He kind of, like, uh uh-huh. He heads out of the hut to see what's going on, check things out, and a moment later... Someone that we don't get to see yet holds a forked stick up to his neck and, like, forces him up against the wall. So, I mean, I think, as we've said before, 
Um, if things don't get too bad before we cut away, then we know that the person's probably chill. They're just like being careful. <laughs> so we cut away and we cut to the monk who is arriving back at what we assume is the monastery. He, you know, kind of open, unlocks the door and lets himself in and then like bars the door shut. It has, you know, like one of those like two by fours, basically that you kind of close down over the door to lock it. Mm -hmm. Classic. We get a nice exterior shot of the monastery. It's, you know, basically nighttime now and up kind of on the second level of the monastery, we see a window suddenly light up almost as if an electric light inside that room was turned on. There's more to this monk than meets the eye. We start hearing the sounds of like a whole group of monks chanting. And as we hear these monks chanting, the camera shows us just how empty and abandoned the monastery seems. Mm. Is it haunted or does this person have like a record player playing, <laughs> playing chanting? It's a good question. In fact. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. <laughs> so the two villagers who had rushed off earlier to look for the box that washed ashore, they have now arrived at the top of the cliffs above the TARDIS, but the TARDIS itself is no longer visible because it's now high tide. Does that mean it's underwater? Yeah, pretty much. Like, the rocky shore is no longer ashore. Nice. Pity. It might have been valuable. Would have been crushed against the rocks by now, whatever it was. Well, uh, don't count the TARDIS out yet. Uh-huh. I was thinking at this point that it's probably a good thing that Vicky and Stephen left and went to go climb the cliffs themselves instead of staying at the TARDIS. Because, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, they would have just had to, like, go into the TARDIS and just camp out inside of it until it was low tide again. Yep. And uh, the the DM, you know, wanted to get the adventure started. Uh-huh. Little did the DM know that, actually, the DM probably did make a guess that as soon as the adventure would start, they'd split the party. Yeah, I think by now the, the DM is uh, starting to catch on to these players' shenanigans. Uh-huh. We cut over to the doctor, who is now being served a drinking horn full of mead by Her's descendant. Cool. I hope you will forgive a woman's harsh welcome. We do fear strangers, but we're very happy to welcome a traveler. Uh-huh, okay. So, yeah, you were, you were right on before. Well, I'm glad the doctor didn't get forked. <laughs> The doctor starts prying a little bit, trying to figure out, like, what time period they're in. He starts, like, making references to some specific Viking invasions. And he starts, like, asking about the king and stuff. And he basically, you know, has a pretty successful role on his knowledge history check and determines that this is the summer of 1066, and there's going to be a Viking invasion soon. That's not the only invasion that's going to be coming soon in 1066. True. I think the Viking invasion is 
is sooner though. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know like a huge amount of English history and a lot of what I know might be from Dr. Who, but (laughs) I, yeah, I did learn a little bit about, about what's happening here in 1066. Mm hmm. And I, I'm sure that school kids in, in England know even more because oh, yeah. this is like a one of those major... It's, it's like, you know, 1776 for, for American school kids. Pretty much, yeah. People know what happened. So the doctor's host, her descendant, invites him to stay overnight, which he accepts. He sits down to have a rest while she excuses herself to go take care of like more chores and whatnot. And as the doctor rests and listens to the sound of monks chanting in the distance, suddenly the sounds of the chanting slows down and then like speeds back up again. Like someone wound the record player. (laughs) Kind of like that. Yeah. As soon as this happens, the doctor like quickly calls his host back over and starts questioning her about the monks. Uh huh. She explains that the monastery was deserted for years until a bunch of monks moved back in just like several weeks ago. Nobody's seen them. I uh-huh. only hear them chanting. Well, he actually asks if anyone's seen them, and she does say that one of the monks has been seen by the villagers, but has never been spoken to. Hmm. The doctor basically thanks her for her kindness and rushes off to visit the monastery himself. He's not going to stay overnight at the hut anymore. Yeah, he he knows a plot hook when he sees one. Uh Uh-huh. Vicky and Steven are pretty lost in the forest, and Vicky is tired. She wants to rest. Steven wants to keep going. I guess they just rested a few minutes ago. But he ends up giving in, and they pause for a moment. They can hear someone approaching, so they you know, go and hide in the bushes. And it's a villager approaching. The villager you know, kind of gets to this clearing and then, like, sees something on the ground and stops and picks it up. Is it a wristwatch? What is it? I can't see. Dang it, Kyle. Look, 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 look closely. Roll, roll perception. <laughs> Stephen wants to find out what it is. So he starts shouting at the villager and basically, like, rushes and tackles the villager. What the heck, dude? (laughs) (laughs) He knocks him to the ground. The DM has the grappling rules already bookmarked because Ian used them a lot. Yep. (laughs) And so they grapple for a minute. Vicky is like shouting at Steven to stop and to leave this poor villager alone. This poor villager who like didn't do anything. Yeah. Eventually... From what I could see, it looks like the villager manages to, like, get a pretty good hit on Steven and then kind of breaks free from the grapple and just gets up and runs away. Yeah, like, dude, what's your problem? Uh I'm out of here. 
Of course, Stephen reveals to Vicky that he got the object that the villager had found on the ground, and it is a wristwatch. Well, you you did very much uh, foreshadow that, Kyle. Thank you. <laughs> you still say this is 10th century England? Well, there's more than one uh, explanation possible here. <laughs> it might not be the only time travelers. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how much Stephen has a hard time believing the time travel thing. The doctor has arrived at the monastery. He tries the front door, but of course it's locked. So he takes a few steps back to, you know, think about his plan of attack or his plan of approach, I guess. Figure out what he's going to do. He's kind of listening and to the chanting, chanting while he thinks. Gloria in excelsis, chelsis, 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 bang, deal. <laughs> <laughs> the camera cuts to the inside of the monastery door where we get to see the monk's hands, you know, like slide open the bolt, lift up mm-hmm. the two by four or whatever. And then back outside, a few moments later, the doctor sees the door just kind of like naturally swing open a little bit. So he heads on in, starts exploring the monastery. Not creepy at all. <laughs> uh-huh. The monastery definitely seems empty and abandoned, basically. Um, you know, the, the villager had told the doctor that it was empty for years, and... That definitely seems to be true. In fact, it seems to be basically still empty now. But before too long, the doctor ends up finding a room with one of those like old fashioned gramophones in it with like the cool sort of, you know, curved up speaker and stuff. Love it. And of course, it's playing the record of monks chanting. Love it. The doctor heads into the room and, like, turns the gramophone off, starts laughing about what he's found, and as he turns around to leave the room, some wooden bars come slamming down in the doorway and trap him in place, or trap him in the room. And then words appear on the screen next episode. Yep. The monk shows up, he starts laughing in the doctor's face. Oh, dang. (laughs) And the words, next episode... The Meddling Monk appear on screen. And the doctor shakes his cane and says, Now, young man, none of that monkey business. <laughs> ah, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you for the laugh. <laughs> Nice. I'll always laugh at a good pun. <laughs> I'm at a bad one. <laughs> Are there bad puns? Uh, I think our listeners can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I like this. You know, we, we, we've got a classic time period in history. We were in Viking times and we're in 1066. So the, the Norman invasion, I think, is, is impending. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got some interesting time shenanigans because so far 
all the, the historical stuff that we've done with like Marco Polo and um, cave people and Romans and uh, ancient, well, not ancient France, um, revolutionary France. Like it was just historical right. straight up. But now we've got like an added added angle of some sort of other time traveler going on. Yeah, this is basically our first historical where the plot is not the doctor and his companions fuck around in history time for a while. <laughs> yes. Like, um, yeah, there's actually something going on here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dennis Spooner has, has done several other historical ones, like we said. Um, but those seem to... I hesitate to say that they focused more on the educational aspect of it, but at least they, you know incorporated potentially educational elements mm-hmm. whereas this one might be more like sci-fi perhaps um yeah it seems like these days these days in, in modern who whenever the doctor goes back in time um the there's always some sci-fi twist to it yeah i don't think modern who has ever had just like a non-sci-fi historical yeah it's not not really so much an educational show anymore. <laughs> uh, well, shall we find out how meddling this monk is? Let's let's do it. Or See what he's time, meddling listeners. in. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Benny. Kyle and I would like to thank Circuit 23 for our theme song. You can find its sweet, sweet tunes, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thank you to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who. And thank you, listener, for listening to me, listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. You can always chat with us by emailing thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweeting at drwatcher. It always makes our day to see a new review on iTunes. And with that, please join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. This isn't an ordinary ship, you know. This is a time machine. Time machine? Look, this ship may have a way out design, but time machines, that's ridiculous. Doctor? Hmm? He says the TARDIS isn't a time machine. Oh, does he now? Tell him. Mm. I don't see why I shoot my child. You learn soon enough. Look, Doctor, I've seen some spaceships in my time. Admittedly, nothing like this. But, but what does this do? Uh, that is the dematerializing control, and that over yonder is the horizontal hold. Up there is the scanner, those are the doors, that is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. Now please stop bothering me. <laughs> Look, you gave this ship a name just now. What was it? TARDIS. T-A-R-D-I-S. It stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. It be. What? It be? Hmm. I-D-B-I. Yeah? It means I don't believe it. You'll see. You'll see.